chose the road that led to suffering Nothing was spared to prove your love for me You're the mystery That your final breath became eternity What we had lost forever you redeemed at Fusion this morning on this beautiful Palm Sunday. We're so glad that you're joining us in person as well as online. And now hear the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us. When we see you, 
we find strength to face the day in your presence all our fears are washed away washed away Hosanna Hosanna you are the God who saves us worthy of all our praises Hosanna Bow, be. 
Good morning, everybody. Good to see so many cheery faces here this morning. For those of you that I don't know yet or that don't know me, my name is Nate DeWitt. I'm the youth pastor here. It's good to see everybody. We're going to invite all of our students or all of our kids over to the uh, west doors over here on their way out for children's ministry. We're going to send them off with a little greeting. Good weather is on the way. A chance for our kids to get outside soon. That's good. All right, adults, let's send them out with some energy. If you could join me. Students, you guys ready? Okay, wait, one more time. Are you guys ready? Okay, here we go. Adults, the Lord be with you. That's what I'm talking about. Fantastic job. Have a good time downstairs, everybody. Just a little plug for student ministries as well. We have uh, our family night ministries have wrapped up for the season, but our middle school and high school youth groups will continue to meet through April yet on Wednesday nights for middle school and on Monday nights for high school. So any high schoolers and middle schoolers, if you're still still ready to get after it with us, we'll be going yet for another month. So uh, if you guys would please join me, and we're going to open up with a word of prayer beginning with some words from Psalm 47. Pray with me, please. Psalm 47, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy, for the Lord most high is awesome. The great king over all the earth, he subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises for God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a song of praise. God reigns over all the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Lord, thank you for this great day. Thank you for being a God that we can be excited about. Help us to, take, to not take you, your power, or your daily gifts for granted. Help us to be a people that live passionately and excitedly as we express our gratitude for all that you've done and continue to do for us. Lord, thank you for the promises of new life. Although it seems like we need to wait sometimes a little too long for the beauty of spring, we're grateful for the visible ways in which it ushers in the comforts and excitement of warmer weather. Lord, for all those that are traveling today, grant them protection. Uh, As many of us finish up the week of spring break and vacations, Help us to enter next week rejuvenated and ready to tackle all the opportunities you put in front of us. Lord, help us to see you. Remind us to look for you. We know you're always there, but in our daily busy lives, it feels like we miss you all too often. Grant us regular reassurances of your presence as we walk through our daily, as we walk through our, as we walk through the days and we know that you are with us. Lastly, Lord, We know there are far too many people in our community that are hurting and struggling from a variety of reasons. Lord, you know those people and you know those situations. Grant those people and families grace, peace, comfort, and we even boldly pray for miraculous healing in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the words that you'll share with us today. Help us to not only listen to those words, but to also truly hear what it is that you're laying on our hearts this morning. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks, Nate. Hey, good morning, Fusion family. Good morning, good morning. It is good to be together again. Uh, final Sunday of, of kind of spring break, so, so welcome back to those of you who went someplace warm, and uh, hey, thank you for bringing some sunshine and some warmer weather. We'll... Uh, did you guys do that? I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, for those who were gone, it was, uh, it was a, a wonderful week here in Michigan. You missed out on all the joys of spring in West Michigan. Uh, but this morning is not just the last Sunday of spring break. It's also Palm Sunday. 
So we got some beautiful palms up here. And Palm Sunday, uh, more, most importantly, marks the beginning of Holy Week. And Holy Week's kind of like, uh, like Super Bowl week for the church. Maybe that's a poor analogy, but it's a big deal. And uh, for us, our first Sunday here was Easter Sunday last year. And so it's been just about a year for our family being part of this community and just want to say thank you for welcoming us uh, in this community as well. As we, as we kind of think about quickly Holy Week, uh, just to make a note of some things, we have uh, Holy Week is, is, a, is a week of remembering the journey Jesus took. It ends on, on I mean, it kind of uh, climaxes at uh, Easter Sunday, but part of that journey is, is remembering what Jesus endured. And so I just want to encourage you to make that part of your Easter and Holy Week remembrances. And we have a Monday Thursday uh, service here in this space at 7 p.m. encourage you to join with us for that. We'll also have a prayer vigil on Good Friday that you can sign up for. There's some more information. That's for what's uh, the crisis happening in Ukraine. So uh, look for those opportunities to participate as they come. Anyway, let's shift to our series. We've been in the season of Lent. And if you remember all of Lent, we've been working our way through the book of Exodus, the second uh, book of the Bible, remembering God's deliverance of his people from Egypt, their journey in the wilderness to Mount Sinai. And throughout the series, if you remember, we've been real intentional. We're, we're, we're journeying, uh, we're remembering the journey of God's people in Exodus, but with eyes fixed on Jesus. This morning, what we want to do as we enter into Holy Week is kind of, is kind of flip that switch and for the next week, we're going we're gonna to focus on the Holy Week story, and we're going to be using Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, as our guide. And we're going to be looking at Holy Week through Matthew's perspective, uh, but we're going to be remembering the journey of God's people uh, in Exodus and beyond. And so the, the, we're kind of pivoting here this week. Uh, before we to get there, let's just do a quick summary of where we've been, uh, history, uh, getting to uh, Palm Sunday. Last week, we wrapped up the book of Exodus. So if you remember this graphic, we, this was kind of a graphic we used at the beginning of the series, kind of summarizing the first five books of the Bible, uh, the Torah or the Pentateuch. Uh, if you remember, we wrapped up the book of Exodus, uh, and people of God were on Mount Sinai. The glory of the Lord filled the, the tabernacle. Uh, the book of Leviticus was given, delivered on Mount Sinai, so they're still in Mount Sinai as they receive the law. The num- then the book of Numbers begins. They continue to be at Mount Sinai, uh, but in the book of Numbers, then they leave Mount Sinai, journey uh, in the wilderness, which ends up being a f- 38 more years, 40 years in the wilderness. They get, to, and, that, and the book of Numbers tells of those journeys. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. And then we get to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, uh, which means second law, is on the banks of the, the Jordan River uh, leading into the promised land. We'll go to the next slide. A quick summary, right? So we got uh, the Torah, then we have Joshua and Judges, which talk about establishing a people in the promised land in Israel. Uh, from there, they, they want a king, and so God gives them a king. We have a united kingdom uh, under Saul, David, and Solomon. Uh, from there, though, the, the kingdom split. And we have this splitting of the kingdoms, the northern kingdom uh, of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Now that always confused me because the United Kingdom, we call them Israel. But anyway, northern kingdom, Israel and Judah, there's a series of kings, a series of rebellions, and the people turn their back on God, which leads uh, both kingdoms being cast off into exile. The northern kingdom of Israel cast off, uh, taken into exile by the Assyrians, never to return. Uh, Judah then, uh, years later, taken into exile into Babylon. After 70 years in Babylon, the people return, and much of the prophets are written during that season, the, 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 uh, the minor prophets. Uh, from there, the people return to the land uh, from exile, but they're still not free. Uh, so they return to the land, and we have a series of world empires that are occupying and ruling over the people of Israel, even though they're in Israel. Does that make sense? So you have the Persians, you have the Greeks, and then we get to the time of Jesus, and it's the Roman Empire that are ruling over and domineering the people of Israel. So they're home, but they're not free. And this is the context of the time of Jesus. The people of God living and worshiping in in Jerusalem and yet not free, uh, still being ruled over by the Roman Empire. Now we're going to be looking at Matthew 21. This is Matthew's account of Palm Sunday. And in this, it's important to note that Palm Sunday uh, began on the first day of Passover. 
And so all of a sudden now our story comes full circle, right? Because the Passover is the festival, the yearly festival of the Jewish people that commemorates the people of God being liberated from Egypt. So now all of a sudden our story comes full circle. Jesus is entering Jerusalem the first day of Passover and that leads to Holy Week. And so now we're going to read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21. We'll be reading verses 1 through 17 as we turn our eyes and our attention toward Holy Week. If you're willing and able, I'd invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us this morning. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 17. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks anything, uh, anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. And they will, he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. These are the words of the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples did, went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Verse 12. Jesus entered the temple courts, drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You join me in prayer. Lord God, we thank you. On this Palm Sunday, Lord, Lord, we thank you for the events of this week that took place 2,000 years ago. And we thank you, Lord, for these words which you have preserved and given to us so that we can remember, so that we can hear from you, so that we can be formed by you. And so, Lord, as we enter into this Holy Week, God, may you form us as we remember. Lord, we re may we remember the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ and may this change us more and more into our Lord and Savior. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen and amen. Quick little fun question as we open. How many, uh, by show of hands, love surprises? Any of you love surprises? There you go. How many of you on the other side of the aisle, you don't like surprises? In fact, you've communicated that clearly with your loved ones that, nope, no thanks, don't, think, don't even think about it. I don't like surprises. Don't even try doing that. I won't appreciate it. And now here's the thing. For those of us, uh, I like surprises. For those of us who like surprises, uh, right, we, we can never communicate that, right? You can't say, I can't say to Yvonne, you know, hey, uh, for my birthday this year, I'd like a surprise party on March 2nd, you know, whatever it is. You can't say that because then it wouldn't be a surprise, right? So, there you go. Now, now families, loved ones, you know who likes surprises and you can plan accordingly. Okay. But the truth is, uh, surprises come in many different shapes, sizes, and shades, right? 
There are the fun and unexpected, uh, fun and exciting surprises, like a, like a surprise birthday party or a surprise getaway. That's pretty swell. Uh, or you have other forms of surprise, uh, the unexpected. Um, maybe some of you have a loved one who uh, likes to kind of sneak up behind you and, and go, boo, you know, that's kind of a surprise. Uh, anyone? Anyone? Maybe just, okay. By the way, a couple weeks ago, uh, we have one of those uh, camera systems for security purposes in the house, a blink system. And so we have one in the living room and I'm in my office and I kind of bring up the blink and there's Yvonne sitting in, the, sitting in the living room watching TV and you can talk and I go, <laughs> and she jumps up. So people are walking by my office. I'm just sitting here giggling to myself because I, anyway. 15 years, huh, babe? Yeah, okay. <laughs> There's also kind of the, the cute surprises, right? When you have little kids, they kind of surprise you by saying something that you didn't expect. And one morning I come down, or not come down, but I come into the, the kitchen and I'm getting Bryson some dinner and he's kind of nervous about going to school because some challenges, maybe I've shared this. And he says, he says to me, you know, that's okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna face my fears today. I'm like, what? Okay, that's, that's shocking. That's unexpected. And so there's kind of these lighthearted, there's these fun and exciting surprises and unexpected, but we also know that on the other side of that coin, there's, there's the unexpected that, that turns our lives upside down. And uh, there's the, the, the coming home and, and sharing with your spouse that I'm not going back to work tomorrow. I lost my job. Or for some that have experienced the devastating events of a, of a house fire or all kinds of different things that can just be devastating and unexpected. And it begs the question as we think about the unexpected, particularly when, when it's that kind of shocking turn of events, how do, we, how do we navigate life faithfully when things don't go as we expected? When the unexpected strikes, how do we, particularly as Christ followers, live in that tension and that difficulty? We just read an account from Matthew's Gospel of Palm Sunday. Matthew describes the scene in detail, and the scene in Jerusalem is a scene of the people of Israel welcoming in Jesus as he, as he rides this donkey, this colt, into Jerusalem. And what we see is that the expectations of the people of Jesus don't quite align with the reality of what's happening and why he is entering the city at this time in history. What I want to do is explore for a moment how Jesus was the unexpected king for the people of God and for the world. Again, remember the context. We're in first century Jerusalem, uh, a city under Roman occupation and control. Rome was not a welcomed ruler, right? The people of God, most people, like, despise the fact that, that Rome was in their land ruling over them because Rome ruled over the people. The, the Roman Empire, they were the ones who appointed leaders. They were the ones who, who appointed tax collectors, who, who, who ruthlessly taxed the people to the point of, of poverty. Most people, aside from a small minority of people who were, who were leveraging Rome's presence for their own financial gain, most people in Israel, in Jerusalem, despised the Romans and wanted nothing to do with them, wanted them eradicated from their land and from their country. And at the same time, the scriptures are filled with prophecies of this Messiah who would come in the line of David Right in the family line of David who would come to deliver them, to save them from their struggles, would deliver them. And in their mind, what the Messiah was coming to deliver them from was crystal clear. This Roman government who's oppressing us and, and ruthless over us. And now all of a sudden you have this man, Jesus, who's riding into Jerusalem the first day of Passover, and it's like, Passover, what a perfect time for the Messiah to come. 
Right, so this is the background, and so let's kind of look at some of the details that Matthew gives to explore the expectation of God's people of this Messiah, because I think the details tell a story about what the people were expecting. Let's begin with this idea of a donkey or a colt of a donkey. Again, the crowd sees Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey or a colt, and and they've heard of this Jesus, right? News of this Jesus of Nazareth had been spreading. He'd been doing these miracles, feeding thousands of people with, with just a small amount of bread and fish. This Jesus, they've been hearing stories about a Jesus who could, who could heal people of diseases and ailments. They've been hearing stories of, of this Jesus who, who maybe they heard some stories about how Jesus had power over nature. For a people longing for deliverance from this this foreign government, boy, those would be some pretty stellar qualities for a Messiah, right? Feeding thousands, healing those injured, power over nature, wow. And now he's riding on a donkey. Now Matthew gives us uh, the quote of the prophet that, that kind of hints at this, but Matthew kind of edits that quote. He removes one line, and that line is highlighted in yellow. Let's read. This is from Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt and the foal of a donkey. Now, now Matthew edits that line out because he wants us to understand the kind of king Jesus was, but the people of God would have had those words ringing as many of them have committed the scriptures to memory. Righteous and victorious. What about cloaks? What's the significance of cloaks? Now, most people in the ancient world, different context, different culture. Most of them had two primary garments. There was an inner tunic, which is kind of like a long linen shirt uh, that went down to your knees. Then they also then had an outer cloak to keep you warm. And, and again, this is not America in the 21st century, right? There's no closets full of cheap clothing. Like there's no clearance rack at TJ Maxx where you can get clothes for a relatively inexpensive price. No, they had two primary garments and most people only had two. And so to take your one cloak to remove your one cloak, your one coat that you had and to lay it on the road for a donkey to walk on and do whatever else a donkey does, you, you don't just do that for anyone. Right? That's not just something people would do. You would reserve that for something significant. And here again, we have in 2 Kings chapter 9, verses 13, a story of, of a king, Jehu, entering the city. And this is what we read. They quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpets and shouted, Jehu is king. What is being signified as the people remove their cloaks, place them on the ground for this Jesus to walk across? They have a certain image in their mind. Royalty. Royalty. Let's talk a little bit about palm branches and these shouts of, of Hosanna. By this point uh, in, in history, the palm branch had become a national symbol of victory. You can trace this back to the Maccabean Revolt. Uh, this is mid-2nd century B.C. Uh, the book of 1 Maccabees is in the apocryphal text, um, right? And so here's some, some words about the palm branch, this scene of reclaiming Jerusalem. This would have been a national symbol for the Jewish people that would have signaled victory and military power. Of course, for us 2,000 years later, the palm branch takes on a whole new meaning, which is why we've embraced it and reclaimed it, right? Similarly, Hosanna. The people begin shouting, Hosanna. This is uh, English, translation, uh, English transliteration of the Greek, which is a transliteration of the Hebrew. The Hebrew here is Hoshiana. Hoshiana. Can, can you hear Hosanna in that? This is a quote from Psalm 118, verse 25 through 26. Hosanna literally means save us. 
Psalm 118, Lord, save us. Hosanna, Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Again, this is a psalm about praising God for salvation, praising God for for victory. What are the people thinking as Jesus walks walks in on or is rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, a colt. All of these details suggest that at least for many of the people lining the streets on the Mount of Olives, shouting Hosanna, waving palm branches, had a particular idea and expectation of who Jesus was. He was king. He was the Messiah in their minds. But specifically, Jesus was a military leader a conquering hero, a military leader, king. This was their expectation. Their hope was that Jesus would would overthrow Rome, would bring victory and salvation from Rome. And how would he do it? Their hope was that the Messiah would come with military force. Save us, O conquering king. Save your people, O God, people of Israel. Here's the problem with those expectations. What does Jesus do? I mean, the text is pretty abrupt. It it suddenly shifts to Jesus clearing the temple. Jesus enters Jerusalem riding on a colt. What does he not do? He doesn't doesn't go to Herod's temple and demand that, that Rome leave. Jesus doesn't enter into Jerusalem, gather troops together to begin a revolt. No. Instead, Jesus walks straight to the temple the center of worship and life of the Israel, Israelite people. And he starts doing something incredibly controversial and wild. And in that act, he derails all of their expectations. Let's look at the, the, the details of what happens in, quickly in these couple verses uh, as Jesus enters the temple in Jerusalem because I think, again, the details point to the reality of what Jesus came to do which was outside of the people's expectations. Let's begin. He goes to the temple and he starts turning over tables in the temple, in the outer courts. This has taken place in the outer courts in the temple in Jerusalem. This is where, 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 again, it's Passover week, right? And so Passover week, uh, the city of Jerusalem is flooded with thousands upon thousands of of faithful Jewish people and they're going to be going to the temple to make sacrifices Many of them don't, can't carry those sacrifices with them, so they go to the temple to purchase these sacrifices. There's money changers because you can't use Roman currency to buy a sacrifice, and so you've got to change that money out. The money changers take a little profit. Many of the, the animals that they would maybe bring wouldn't be pure enough or clean enough, so then they're selling animals. It's become this place of commerce. And this is the court of the Gentiles. This is the place where the Gentiles could come. They could not go any further, but this is where they would worship and pray. Gentiles who feared the Lord, God fears. And Jesus comes in, he just starts turning over the tables. And it seems from this this act that this king that has entered Jerusalem is far more concerned with worship and prayer than he is with war and power. In fact, he's, he's revolting against power and these dynamics in the temple. Then, then we have this one verse where we, we, we read that in verse 14 that the blind, the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. So after turning over all these tables and, and scattering people, these people come to Jesus. They know who Jesus is and he heals them of their diseases. And suddenly we have a, a picture of Jesus, this king who's far more interested in healing and restoring people than he is defeating or dominating or overthrowing governments blowing up expectations. And then this interesting scene where we're, all, we're told that these children are in the temple and the children are, are, are echoing the shouts of the people, Hosanna, son of David. And the religious leaders see all of this happening and they're indignant. They are angry. They are furious. Do you hear what these kids are saying? He says, yeah. Absolutely, because Jesus understands that these words, Hosanna, that we've reclaimed, these palm branches that we've reclaimed 2,000 years later means something so much greater than what the people expected of Jesus 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ was the unexpected king, the unexpected Messiah. He 
here's the thing. Beyond expectation, how often does God operate within our expectations, right? For the last five weeks, we've been exploring how God was at work in the wilderness, in the book of Exodus, leading the people out of Egypt. How much of that, how God was working, was, was, would be how you would expect? <laughs> Those wise words from that band a few years ago. He moves in mysterious ways. Yeah. So often God works beyond our expectations. Let's consider again what we've looked at the last five weeks, the unexpected work of God in the wilderness. Five weeks we've explored remembering Israel's journey from Egypt to the promised land. Unexpected things that they faced along the way and it continued once they left Mount Sinai. Wilderness unexpected. Throughout this series, we've remembered how God worked in the unexpected. We got a little, we got a little chart, a little, little graphic that we've been using. Again, remember, appearing to Moses in a bush that was on fire but not consumed, revealing his name to Moses, Yahweh, I am. What? Unexpected, right? From there, God uses Moses to deliver the people out of slavery in Egypt. This is the primary world power at the time. And how does he do it? Ten plagues, uh, crossing the Red Sea on dry ground. Unexpected work of God. From there, they, 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 on the other side of the Red Sea, they enter the wilderness and they're thirsty and they're hungry and how does God provide? Water comes pouring out of a rock and bread comes raining down from heaven. Unexpected. And then finally, they, they take this detour on their way to the promised land. They stop at the mountain of the Lord, Mount Sinai, where God establishes a covenant with the people and then reveals to them his name, his character. Unexpected, unexpected, unexpected. But it continues. Because the people then leave Mount Sinai in the book of Numbers and a lot of these same patterns and rhythms begin happening again. The people rebelling, lacking trust, but we get to Numbers chapter 13. And the people have left Mount Sinai. They've set up camp in the wilderness of Paran. This is a region just south of the promised land. Numbers 13 tells us that, that Moses sends, God sends 12 spies to survey out the promised land. And they come back and they report uh, the land is plentiful. Right? The land is flowing with milk and honey, just as you've said. There's these grapes that are huge, and they've returned with this huge cluster of grapes. The land is good, just as God has promised. But the spies return and say, there's, there's people in that land who are giants. There's giant grapes, but there's also giant giants. right? And they'll destroy us. Ten of those spies begin to spread this information among the people, stir up the people, and the people rebel, longing once again, repeating these old behaviors and patterns, longing to return to Egypt. Only two of those spies, Caleb and Joshua, believed God could do the unexpected and give them this land of promise. And what happens? Now they're gonna have to wait another 38 years, 40 years in total. And they're going to remain in the wilderness because they did not believe that God could do the unexpected. Fast forward, even going into the promised land, how God brings the land, gives them the land is unexpected, right? Throughout the wilderness journey, God continued to work in unexpected ways. But what was consistent was that God's way was always better and beyond what the people expected. And not only that, but this journey, even those 40 years in the wilderness, served a specific purpose in the life of God's people that would take a whole generation, 40 years for them to learn and to begin to lean into this truth. 40 years of rebellion and questioning and wrestling. And this was the wilderness lesson, to begin to learn to trust. We've said this before, right? It, it took just moments for, uh, someone had said, much smarter than me said this, but it took moments for, for God to deliver the people out of Egypt, but took 40 years to get Egypt out of the people. 40 years in the wilderness. The people could have arrived in, in the promised land in less than 40 days, right? 
If you were to walk from Egypt straight into the promised land, about maybe less than 40 days, but God took them on a 40-year detour because they needed to learn, to begin to learn to place their trust in him. They needed to learn to love this God whose name was Yahweh, learn and experience the Lord's character, Yahweh's character, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. And over time, 40 years, they would learn, or at least begin to learn, to trust God even in the face of the most unexpected of circumstances, and at that point, they were ready to step into the land of promise. But was it 40 years in the wilderness and then smooth sailing from there? No. Because the reality is this trust thing is not easy. Trust is not an easy thing. And so often we, we read scripture and it's easy with our perspective to be like, what, you know, what's going on? And we've said this throughout this series, but I think it's more helpful to, to read scripture more as a mirror, to read these passages of scripture as a mirror that reflects the words back to ourselves. And I think when we do that and honestly look at our own lives, most of us can relate because how have we faced the unexpected? You see, the truth is, yes, yeah, some of us will raise our hand and say, yeah, we, we love surprises. Like we love, we love surprise parties. Uh, we love surprise trips. To the Bahamas, by the way, I would love a surprise trip to the Bahamas. <laughs> but if we're honest, like, I don't think any of us would raise our hands to volunteer for the other kind of surprises. Those unexpected things that turn life upside down. The unexpected hardship or challenges or, or loss. Years ago, I, I remember stepping into a, a living room of a, a young family for church, and their two kids are, are running around, and one's really young, the other one's kind of kind of shy because, you know, the pastor's in the house, and he's kind of hiding, and I'm trying to connect with Paw Patrol or Spider-Man or something, and so we, we, we do that a little bit, and then we sit down at the couch, and and they begin, to, they begin to share with me their heartache as they're trying to process uh, the devastating news that they received weeks prior, a diagnosis of childhood cancer. Talk about unexpected. And we're sitting there, and I don't remember all the details. I, of that moment. But I remember in our, in our conversation, um, them sharing that the, the treatment had come a long way and there was a lot of hope, a real high success rate uh, through the treatment. And I can share now that it was successful. But as they shared that, the, the treatment also brought with it just this brutal reality that this would absolutely be devastating on their young child. And you can imagine how devastating that is then as a parent to walk with your young child who has a hard time processing or understanding what's ahead. And again, I don't remember the details of our conversation. I know we, we probably cried together. We prayed together. We, we pleaded for God to do uh, an unexpected miracle. But what I can say is over the, the, the course of the next year plus, I witnessed a family who chose to trust and did that make treatments less painful? No. Less heartbreaking? No. Did that mean they never questioned or they never wrestled with God? No, I don't think so. But in the course of facing the unexpected and the unimaginable, they chose to, to trust in the midst of all that wrestling and doubting and questioning. And God carried them through. 
God carried them through by the power of, of his spirit. God carried them through by the support and love of, of the community that surrounded them, family that walked with them. When we face the unexpected, I pray to God that none of us face that kind of unexpected. But when we face the unexpected, will we choose to trust? Will we glean from the wisdom of God's formation of God's people in the deserts in Exodus when the, when the unexpected comes our way? It's not easy. It's not simple. It's filled with honest doubt and wrestling and questions. And it's best done together. But I remember now I, I think back of the disciples' experience, right? D Matthew 21, three different times before entering into Jerusalem, Jesus said to his disciples, this is what's gonna take place. We're gonna go to Jerusalem and I gotta, I'm gonna die. Peter, the first time he hears that, what does he do? He rebukes Jesus for it. Jesus was trying to prepare them and now I'm thinking about the disciples on this holy week and they come in and there's this parade, you know, and people are shouting Hosanna, They're like, yes, they get it. And then all of a sudden Jesus goes to the, to the temple, he starts turning over tables and they're probably thinking, what is going on? What are you doing? And over the course of the week, they sense the tension in the city rising to a boiling point. And their, their rabbi is betrayed by one of their own and arrested, beaten. And they're thinking, what is going on? Unexpected, uncertain. I think one of the gifts that God gives to us to help us in this high calling, this gift of trust and faith is this gift of remembering. Remember the Torah ends with the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy literally just means second law. Moses, uh, these are the final words of Moses before the people of God enter the promised land. He's standing on the, the shores, the edges of the Jordan River, speaking to the people. And, and what does Moses say? He, he tells them, reminds them of the law that's gonna lead to life, but he says to them, remember do not forget how the Lord carried you through the desert as you step into the promised land. Remember and do not forget. And from that moment on, even before that, the people of God have forgotten, right? And even us, we, we, we have a tendency to forget. And so we need these reminders. We need things that help us remember. And that leads us right into this week, Holy Week. Every year, Every year, we step into Holy Week to remember. To remember that God is faithful, that God is love. And we take this journey every year, following our Lord Jesus. And you know, pastors, we wrestle with, because we always want to find some new angle. There's no new angle for the resurrection, right? It is the best news we have, amen? But we remember the same story every year. We remember that this king, this King Jesus, who indeed was king, and they were shouting Hosanna, they were waving palm branches, they were right because Jesus is and was king. But we remember that this king was not the king they expected, not the warrior conquering king, but the king that would give of his own life. He would become the lamb that was sacrificed for the salvation of others. A symbol recalling that work on Passover years prior that this king would willingly walk the road of suffering. He would lay his life down as a perfect sacrifice. He would experience death and separation from God the Father. And then three days later, this king would rise victorious from the grave, conquering sin and death so that we might have this promise of life both now and forevermore, which gives us hope to handle any unexpected thing that might face because we know there is a promise that is sure and certain. It is a promise for salvation, life in Christ for eternity. And so every year during Holy Week, we remember that Jesus Christ, through the most unexpected way, 
most unexpected, baffling way brought salvation and rescue, not just to the people of Israel, but to all the nations of this earth. And in this way, Jesus came in a way that was far beyond what the crowds waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna could have imagined or expected, but it was far beyond and far better. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news that we step into this week to remember and to recite because it's formational and it's grounding for us so that when we face the unexpected, we have an anchor for our soul. And so, friends, I don't know how you're gonna remember Holy Week, but let it not just be another week. Let us not just forget everything and then come and wear our Easter uh, best and you know, do the Easter thing because that's fun and exciting, but let's also remember what Jesus Christ endured to get us there. Let us remember and let us pray. Will you join me? Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you came into this world to do. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that even though, Lord, so often we we want relief from from temporary things or we want a king who is powerful and who's mighty, who's gonna defeat our enemies, Lord, you in your wisdom came and you did more than we could even ask or imagine. Because Lord, you came and you laid down your life and you defeated the greatest enemy that any of us face. Setting us free from our sin and brokenness and Lord, yes, that greatest enemy, death. And in you, Lord Jesus We have hope for today and we have hope for tomorrow. Lord, remind us of this truth so that we can trust you, that we can choose to believe even when things get difficult. And Lord, that process of trust is messy and it's up and down and allow us to be real and authentic in the midst of that. And Lord, we also pray that you would form us into a community. Continue to form us, Lord. This is a community that loves one another and walks with one another. Lord, may you continue to grow us in that so that when we travel the unexpected, we do so knowing that, Lord Jesus, you carry us. And oftentimes you carry us by the, the, the hands and the love and the arms of your people, the church. Lord, may we become a community like that. Lead us and guide us. Be our vision, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us.
After the service, invited to some donuts and coffee, um, and also this week, um, Holy Week, um, of a month or two ago, and talking with the spiritual director, talking about grounding practices, rhythms, things that keep me grounded in what is true, keep my vision on Jesus, and I think this practice and journey of Holy Week is one of those essential ones for the life of the Christian. And so I just encourage you to consider um, here, 7 p.m., or find some way to, to take that journey with Jesus Christ. And as you go from here, uh, rest in the sure and hope, certain hope of, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Yes, it is he.